Ladies and gentlemen, the drop zone is back after a really long time away. I think of like almost a full three month hiatus, Dylan, but we're back for the people. We are back. I mean, I don't like to think of it as a hiatus. I like to think of it as just, you know, kind of recharging the batteries, taking a little bit of time to, to like charge up, get ready for, I guess, what is now part two of the super season, Sean. The super season. Yeah. Well, I never, I, I thought that there would never be a better time than right now after a Bryson victory and before the players to finally come back to the drop zone because what I had kind of the Bryson story of the week, then Bryson won, and then you had a bunch of stories from the players last year. You were on the, on the ground as the tour shut down. So we're going to dive into all that good stuff, but we need to start with the big boy, the big bad golfer, Mr. Golf Hulk himself. Bryson DeChambeau wins by one over Lee Westwood. And, you know, I feel like each week we keep one-upping the, the prior week for the most entertaining uh, PGA Tour tournament of the year. But uh, we have Bryson finishing with a bunch of pars, 12 straight pars to win by one. Uh, and he is the perfect person, right, to get everybody just riled up, to talk about rolling back the ball, to talk about what he could do at Augusta, to talk about if he's good for golf. He is the most polarizing player in the game. And I I think it's not really close. And I think Brooks would be second. Think about if Lee Westwood wins this golf tournament, the – discourse doesn't have anything to do with the big picture of golf necessarily beyond you know the fact that it's amazing it would be that a 47 year old can still contend with all these young bucks but yeah exactly and westwood even said afterwards he was talking about oh the, the game's in a good place there's really no need to to do anything but of course bryson hitting it greenside on a par five is going to introduce that conversation even though the sixth hole at Bay Hill is essentially a one-off. Like it is, it is that one track on Mario Kart where you can take the, the secret tunnel that spits you out near the finish line. So in some ways it is a one-off because, and, but in other ways, yeah, it, it marks the sign that, that Bryson is still revolutionizing the game in different ways. But the more I think about Bryson's win, the more I keep going back to the way he was hitting putts on the closing holes. He kept having these 40, 50 foot putts and they, he made one of them and he lagged a bunch of others to the point where they looked like they might go in or stop dead short or scare the edge. Yep. And it was just a reminder that this guy, while his driving gets all the headlines, the driving is just a way to give himself a slight advantage so that he can just hold his ground with the best players in the world everywhere else. And his short game was a testament to that. Yeah. Well, if you look at the strokes gained last year, he was 10th or top 10 in strokes gained putting. He has not played that well this year until this point, but he's still above par. He's still 65th on tour and strokes gained putting. You have to always say slight when you talk about his advantage right you do it all the time and I think that's important because he and a lot of other people will use this anecdotal evidence it's always anecdotal it's always well if Lee Westwood could beat him how important is his driving well Lee Westwood played the best tournament out of every other player in the field so like 
we can't pay that much attention to the one tournament that Lee Westwood played super, super well in. But we get all wrapped up in, well, if Jordan Spieth can compete with him, then how important is the driving? If Lee Westwood can do it, how important is the driving? If Abe Anser can do it, how important is the driving? It's just the baseline. It's there. It's ever constant. It wasn't constant at Riviera when he was like all over the planet, but he's back now. Like that's how, that's what's important to me is that he's going to go through these lulls that literally every tour player goes through. Dustin Johnson goes through these lulls and he's the most robotic thing this side of Tiger Woods. Every golfer goes through lulls. Bryson went through a mini one a month ago. Now he's out of it. And what? We're like four weeks from the Masters. I'm not sure exactly how to quantify the way Bryson looks on Sundays in contention, but there's a bunch of other guys that you talk about shrinking from the spotlight or or suddenly looking different when they're in the mix on Sundays. I mean, we've talked ad nauseum about Tony Finau and how he looks. Jordan Spieth's game doesn't look quite the same in, in Sunday contention yet, although there's promising signs. Rory McIlroy has certainly not been himself on Sundays in contention. Bryson looks, if anything, like he's channeling his focus on Sundays. I mean, the tee shot he hit on number 18 was the best drive that anyone hit that day, yesterday. Yep. Um, and it sort of spoke to the fact that when he's, he gets in these big moments, it seems to focus him. And maybe it's because he spends so much time experimenting Spends so much time, yeah, even when he's playing time. tournament golf, just trying to figure stuff out, getting the numbers right, that Sunday when he's in the mix, it's finally time to play golf, play tournament golf, and he's refreshed to the point where he can do that especially effectively. And he has a ton of confidence in those moments. Like, when was the last time Bryson did something on the back nine at a golf course? Like, oh, that's going to that's gonna hit his confidence pretty hard. Like, that was that did not shake out very well for him that doesn't happen to him right now. Like he's playing with a lot of house money when it comes to closing out golf tournaments. And you know who isn't guys like Jordan Spieth and Rory McIlroy, like guys that are actually kind of a little bit warped on Sunday in terms of their confidence. Bryson walking up 18, nothing is sure about him finishing this thing off yesterday. And he's like, come on, finish this thing off. He's saying it out loud. The cameras are picking it up. Wouldn't you like to see something like that from Rory? Like from Spieth, you know, Spieth talks to his golf ball and talks to Greller a lot, but it doesn't really ever sound like he's super confident when he's doing that. It's a different level right now that like, I think Patrick Reed kind of has it. I think Bryson has it. I think maybe Brooks maybe has it, but not a lot of people show that like super exuberant confidence when they're just going about their business, but Bryson does. I think irrational confidence is one of the most important parts of being a good golfer. And I think that Spieth and Rory have it, but they have it selectively and they are <laughs> they're a little I would more say, rational. closer to Yeah. Yeah, they're more rational. It's more like how you would expect a normal person to act when they're playing golf where when they're riding high Oh man, they start to feel it. Rory feels it. You know, he gets that strut going. Spieth starts to feel like he can't miss and and he gets that way with, you know, 25-foot putts. But Bryson, sure, there's a negative side, but but Bryson in general is just like that all the time. Self-doubt does not creep in. He has such strong belief that he's doing the right thing 
even when he hits a bad shot, you see him, he's more perplexed by what the equipment did than what yeah. he himself did, which I don't know if he's correct about that, but and, in his and mind, he is. it's off-putting, I would say, to some people. Like I would say that the, that people react negatively to him saying, oh, well, the, the face isn't reacting right when I'm hitting at these speeds. But it's probably healthy in terms of moving on from a bad shot or a bad moment. Say, look, I didn't screw up. The club <laughs> screwed up, if anything. Yeah. You can move that on. Is, yeah. Well, you know, whatever it is that he's doing, it's working right now. And I just want to give a shout-out to all the freaking haters look i'm not like hitching my wagon to to team bryson necessarily i think some people might have read the story and and thought like oh sean really really believes in bryson what i believe in is what i saw like i went down and i went to the his speed training session with chris como and i stood there on the next floor up i was on the second floor overlooking a little bit of like a loft Mm -hmm. looking down on bryson just pace around like a madman. His sweat is dripping off of him through his shirt. Como and his other coach, Brian Ziegler, are sitting there watching him swing and swing and swing and scream at himself and play music and scream at himself and ask for inspiration. Come on, guys, pump me up. Come on, come on, come on. We put a video out. If you're listening to this for the first time, you need to go check out the video. Anyways, everyone saw that video. A lot of people read the article. And they think right away, right away, their gut says, let me know when he hits a fairway. Let me know when he's a good wedge player. You still have to hit the green. People are not paying attention to those aspects of his game that are at and above PGA Tour average. Like it should make right. so much sense what he's doing. This is just a little shout out to the haters because everyone, not everyone, a lot of people were saying, let me know when he hits a fairway. And you know what? Like I said, he hit just as many fairways as Lee Westwood, and Lee Westwood's not going to be able to keep up with that. No. And when you look at extremely selective, cherry-picked instances, like people on the internet tend to do, um, yes, did he miss the fairway or miss the green on number six yesterday? Sure, he did. But he also left himself an 88-yard, like, tweener bunker shot downwind crosswind with water right behind the pin so that's one of the hardest like most awkward shots you could have in golf it's not really a shocker that he missed the green he definitely had to take on less risk to get to where he got than lee westwood did who was coming from 255 yards and then he got it up and down because his short game may not be the best in the world but it's certainly a lot better than it was a and it's more than good enough to compete and win on tour yeah people don't have to like bryson no one says you gotta like the guy he he had a very very sketchy ruling uh just off one of the greens yesterday he's asked for sketchier rulings in the past he he does some (laughs) things that don't seem like the most genuine player on the pga tour you don't have to like him but you can't just be ignorant about what he's doing. The numbers are out there. We've been screaming yeah. about it for a year now. You got to accept it for what it is. Jump on board, stay off board, do whatever you want to do. Don't talk to me about him missing fairways. Yeah. All right. So I do have a question for you that I think people will be curious about. What is Bryson like? 
right? Because that's always what, what people really want to know. What are these guys like when they're not on camera, when they're not on the golf course? What's it like to hang out with Bryson? Well, he is, oh, he, I think he's a smart dude. And I think he has such confidence in his intuition that it often leads to him kind of uh, just being outspoken being out there, like when the cameras are on, he likes to talk, he likes to smile, he likes to be the person that everyone in the room is paying attention to. And that's fine. You know who's like that too? Phil Mickelson. Like those aren't necessarily like bad uh, things. But I think if I had to give my opinion, like some of the pseudoscience could be not as beneficiary, uh, beneficial as he thinks. Like he's kind of thinking in, in terms of is every is everything a net positive or negative? Well, if it's a net slight positive, I'm doing it. If it's a net slight negative, I'll probably avoid it. Not everything is constant that way. When we hung out in uh, late January, we were at Dallas National. We were at Como's house, and Bryson was talking about working with a new dietitian to. Uh, talk about or to figure out how uh what his chew rate was the rate at which he was chewing and consuming his food because that will have something to do with your digestion it will have something to do with the weight makeup of your body and will have something to do with the amount of like uh the amount of food and, and nutrients you need to put back in your body and the rate at which everything is leaving and coming and going and it's like dude i don't think you need to measure how much you chew your food that's just me. I think a lot of people would probably agree with me. Maybe I don't know <laughs> something that he knows. But that's what I mean when like, I think some of the science is slight pseudoscience for a pro golfer. And he dives headfirst into that. He likes to be the guy that everyone in the room is paying attention to. And that's why the 6T is a freaking perfect spot for him, man. He's the only player in the tour on tour who can really do that. I don't know if Cam Champ can do it. Probably. Rory maybe could. He's too afraid. But he loved to do it. He shot his hands up in the air like a rock star. People were comparing him to rock stars on Twitter. Like, that is Bryson in his element. That was the perfect spot for him. I don't know if there's another hole on tour that exists like that. But that was Bryson in a nutshell. And uh, I think people I think people grasp that. I don't think there's a lot of people that are misunderstanding it. Yeah. I think Bryson really wants to be liked. Yeah. Uh, he he think about Bryson in comparison to someone else that you've spent some time with Dustin Johnson, who basically doesn't give a shit what you think about him. <laughs> nope. And Bryson is the opposite. Bryson is pouring through Instagram comments, replying to people. Bryson is feeling bad on Thursday and Friday, and he'll admit it. He's feeling bad that he can't give the fans what they want. He, he yeah. wants to make people happy. He wants to say the right thing. He wants to do the right thing. You, I mean, you could definitely see that in his post win comments, not just the sponsor thing where, you know, he thanks everyone like a, a NASCAR driver, but also <laughs> just the way he speaks about things. It's, it's in a way that he wants to kind of make sure that he's covering all his bases, that he's like objectively doing the right thing. And I think that he, you know, he cares a lot about how he's perceived, which can clash also sometimes with what you talked about, that wild confidence in his intuition, in his process and what he's doing, which can rub people the wrong way. Um, 
the perfect example for me, Dylan, was something we included in the article that I wrote is that all of a sudden we're all kind of hanging out in the room and, and I asked him, he, he said straight up, look, I, me and Chris Como, we want to be three steps ahead of the tour, which kind of like struck me like James Harden, uh, which is kind of like, you know, I want to be ahead of the opponents on, uh, you know, I want to be getting fouled like crazy because I'm a great foul shooter. I want to be getting them super off balance because I'm a great three-point shooter. I want to be three steps ahead of everyone. And as I, I said, Bryson, that's not sustainable. You can't always be three steps ahead of the best players in the world. They will chase you. It will happen. You will take a step back, whatever. And he said, okay, we'll look at it this way. If I make 1% gains every day, you know, that would be 1.01 uh, gains, right? That'd be 1% gains. So one to the 365th power is one, but 1.01 to the 365th power is what? And he shut down the room. Everyone in the room was like, well, shit, what is that? Like 2.5? Like, is it like 8.7? We don't know what 1.01 to the 365th power is. And like eight seconds later, he's like, it's 37.8 or whatever, 37.7. And everyone's like, oh, wow, that's much bigger than we kind of thought. And he's like, that's what 1% gains will mean to me. And I was like, oh, that's very interesting. That's what happens when you deal with an analytical golfer, right? This guy really cares about this stuff. He's trying to add the math up in his head. And like 15 minutes later, I was like, so where'd you get that? Did someone tell you that information? Like, is that a mantra that you've come up with on your own? He's like, oh, no, I got it from Instagram. I saw it on Instagram. You know, you can just imagine his explore page on Instagram is littered with kind of like motivational quotes, probably people like Kyle Berkshire trying to push boundaries, stuff like that. And I was like, okay, so Bryson, you are coming up with these, these theories and methodologies that work for you, but they're not all original to you. So like, are you the brains behind it or is Como or is it combination? I think it's very much a combination. Well, it's just funny to think that the, the inspiration behind this golf revolutionary is just, you know, a quote you see on Instagram. It's not yeah. necessarily like reinventing the wheel, but all right. So you mentioned James Harden really quick before we move on to the, the rest of the world. There's two athletes that I think rightfully get compared to Bryson DeChambeau. One is Tom Brady, and this is that <laughs> pseudoscience department. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm a bigger Tom Brady defender than just about anyone, but <laughs> I don't think that everything in the TB12 method is no. scientifically sound by any means, nor do I think everything that Bryson explores and claims necessarily checks out with the science. But they go down so many rabbit holes and they're so committed to the process that it's hard to argue with the results. So even though they're wrong, you can't really be dismissive of the whole process mm -hmm. because on the whole, it's a big net gain. I mean, yeah. it's, it's clearly working and it's clearly effective. And then the other athlete, I was watching the three point contest last night and the, uh, and the NBA all-star game first there was Steph Curry. He, uh, he was in the finals at the three point contest. He needed to get to 28 points. He missed his first four shots, but there was this sense of inevitability that you know, the more golf you play, or in this case, the more threes you shoot, Steph Curry is eventually going to find his level. And sure enough, yeah. he needed to make four of his last five. He needed to make the money ball. 
And there was really no doubt. Once he threw the ball, once like <laughs> that ball was in the air, he just started to turn to the crowd because he knew it was going in. But that was uh, in some ways not so much the point as then the, the, the all-star game itself where Steph, Damian Lillard were pulling up from essentially half court. <laughs> and that, that is like amazing. the new, that's the new range now. Lillard finished off the game because now they play to a certain number in the, in the all-star game. They had to get to 170. They were at 167. Lillard took a half step inside the half court line and just put up a shot like you would see, you know, you putting up a normal jumper and yeah. swish. And so the <laughs> way that the way that Steph has changed the way people think about the three point line, the way people think about, you know, outside shooting in just a matter of like five years has some overlap with the way we are all thinking about what's possible in professional mm-hmm. golf with a driver in your hand. Yeah, it's true. And, uh, you know, I was hanging with Claude Harmon yesterday and he, he wanted to remind everybody, look, no Bryson big deal. won. Yeah. Bryce won at every stage, right? He won the NCAA tournament. He won the USAM. He won early in his career on the PGA tour. He won on the web doc. I think he won on the web.com tour. He might not have, but either way, he's won everywhere. He's a great golfer. And now he became a big, great golfer. So it's translating. That's 21 and a half minutes of you and me talking about Bryson DeChambeau, Ooh. which is a lot. Let's move on to the man he beat, Lee Westwood. I have only a couple quick things to say about Lee, but first off, good for him. I'm thrilled. For good him. on you, Lee. Good on you, Lee, mainly because I felt really bad last year. This time last year because the players' uh, championship shut things down, but Lee Westwood was having a really good year. was probably playing some of the best golf of his life prior to the players last year. He had won in Abu Dhabi. He had took T4 at the Honda last year. All of a sudden, things shut down. It's like, wait, crap. What about Lee Westwood? He was going to make the Ryder Cup team. Comes back late in the year, bunch of top 20s. He's still playing the best golf of his life. And now he's going to maybe be on that Ryder Cup team at 48 years old. That's epic. He's playing really well. I think he is going to be on that Ryder Cup team. And you can see that Lee, he has some similarities with Paul Casey in that they both seem to be uh, at peace with their golf games. They don't necessarily need anything yeah. <laughs> out of the game at this point, so they're enjoying it a little bit. Lee really said afterwards that he enjoyed the show yesterday. You could tell how much he liked burying that par putt on 18 to force yeah. Bryson to at least match him, make a four-footer of his own. Uh, he gave a, a really wry smile after that putt went in. And, yeah, he he's world number 31 now. Lee Westwood is... He won the Order of Merit last year on the European Tour. His game has not translated to victories on American soil for over yeah. a decade, which is the one reason that second means something very different than first <laughs> yesterday. But look, he hung right in there, the 47-year-old against Bryson DeChambeau, golf revolutionary. It wasn't quite David versus Goliath, but it was certainly one generation yeah. versus the next. Um, yeah. It's not and like two look, different one though. shot leads, Sean. No one holds them anymore. Nobody, <laughs> nobody can hang on to a one shot lead on Sunday on the PGA tour. No, but you look at his putting. He had a below, a low, a below average putting day yesterday. And I know that's a relatively small sample size, but 
He lost a stroke putting. Bryson hit that 50-footer. If those things are flipped, we're talking about Lee Westwood, 48-year-old winner of the Arnold Palmer Invitational. So as much as we talked about Bryson for 20-plus minutes, like Lee was right there. Uh, To me, it felt kind of like you said it's not David versus Goliath, but it definitely felt like Lee Westwood was a video game character going up against like the, the new boss level and Bryson's the boss and like you can beat him. Like you can, there's a way to beat him, but he might beat you first and he might beat you a couple times. Then you eventually beat him on your third, like respawn. But yeah, uh, it's tricky, man. He made, uh, he made half of his birdies or Eagles on Saturday in one round alone. That's kind of like the Lee Westwood, uh, way of winning, right? Like you just gotta be a great ball striker and hope that your putter goes crazy. He didn't even hit, he didn't even put all that well on Saturday, but he was absolutely striping it. That's how an old guy like him wins. He's kind of built from a different golfer cloth, so to say he needs it to in, strike. It his introduces <laughs> him into at least the back of your mind as someone that could end up on that master's leaderboard too. If he's, he's not, I'd be disappointed, right? Like he was there a couple of years of ago. He, he arguably, you can make an argument that he could have maybe should have gotten into a playoff with Danny Willett back in 2016 has been being the main benefactor of Spieth dying in race Creek DJ and Danny Willett and Lee Westwood all eventually started punching at each other. And the only person who landed a punch was Danny Willett. But people forget that Lee Westwood still Damn, damn, damn good. Um, do you have anything else from Bay Hill that we must discuss? Yeah, I mean, just quick thoughts that, that we already sort of grazed on. But Jordan Spieth and Rory McIlroy, of course, two high-profile guys who were waiting to see win. Um, Rory's winless streak has now come up to, what, a year and a half since he won in Canada? See, isn't that crazy, though? We're talking about people sort of in the same vein, but they are also quite different. Like, Rory's winless streak is still shy of two years. Spieth's winless streak is coming up on four years. (laughs) Radically different. The thing is, all right, so what Spieth has done his last four tournaments, which has been in contention on Sunday and not won, is sort of what Rory has been doing now for a year and a half. Yeah. Rory's yeah. always in contention. Well, Rory was not always in contention in the the middle end of 2020, but for a long stretch before then, he was playing some of the best golf of his life. Um, so Rory sounded bummed out after his Sunday finish. More than normal. He, Way more than normal. Yes. And I don't know how much... People started to read into this because he said what he was dejected. He talked about needing a spark. Um, people, some people were wondering, oh, is he talking about making changes like caddy or coach or something like that? I'm not sure that that's really what he was saying. I think it was a little bit more metaphysical. Um, you know, like he's just he's just not quite feeling it. I mean, look, you and I know the feeling of you have a long weekend of golf and maybe you don't play that well your last day of a buddy's trip and. You just get a little bit bummed out and you're like, what does this all mean anyway? And I think that that's where Rory's head was at uh, Sunday. I don't know. Did you read anything more into that? He sounded, it sounded more like self-doubt than anything he's really said in the past, which that's, that, that doesn't feel healthy. I mean, when we 
had him, I guess, 2019 at the Masters. He had played a bunch of really good golf going into that Masters two years ago. And he arrived there and he's talking about, yeah, I'm kind of reading a bunch of books, self-help books. I, I'm working with this new kind of uh, trainer. He was, a, I think, a, a back surgeon or of some sort, like this guy that's kind of working with Rory on his body. He's working with Brad Faxon on his putting. And it's like, damn, Rory seems to be in a really great place. And, you know, it just didn't add up for him that week. But that feels that feels super healthy compared to whatever he was saying on Sunday. Uh, am I concerned about the two or three, you know, one of the two or three best players since Tiger? I'm not that concerned. I mean, the guy still came out and was the first round leader. It, it's kind of the same old story. Uh, I, I'm not sounding the alarms on Rory. He's still top three driver of the golf ball, probably top, 25 ball striker sucks with his wedges (laughs) needs to get the butter like hot can he win in augusta i don't know man that's just where i'm at with him i don't know yeah look i think what it's what it tells us uh there's something interesting about rory and spieth and bryson and thinking about how they each seem to have a very different comfort zone um and a lot of metrics guys in the golf world will basically say that you can just project out a player's performance based on their overall like ability, right? That there's no, there's no such thing as clutch play or situational play, stuff like that. And I just don't think that that captures the whole picture here because at this point it would be uh, a change to see Spieth or Rory really rise to the occasion on Sunday when they're already in the lead. Not that they've never done it, but just that that's not the type of golf that they're playing right now. And there is a, a defined pattern of not necessarily wilting in speed's case. He played okay yesterday. Yeah. Not great, but certainly not like speed. When speed shot 61 at the waste management on Saturday, it would be shocking to see him bring that level of golf to a Sunday in a tournament right now, because that's just not where he seems to be. Sure. Um, and at the same time, Bryson seems like he gets fully engaged on a day like yesterday. Once he's in yeah. the mix right now, the way he's playing, that's when he gets fully locked in. So I don't know. It's just interesting to see where those guys are right now in their respective careers. I'm going to counter that and say that I'm more enthused by Spieth after yesterday than his recent tournaments more enthused about him than I am about Rory. I think if you kind of boil it down to it, like it felt like he eked a little bit closer to the finish line yesterday than he has in the other tournaments. Like, you know, it's kind of circumstance. Bay Hill is tough. The back nine isn't easy. Those par fives don't necessarily, I mean, the 16 gives you a lot, but they don't give you everything. Um, we didn't see Bryson make a birdie on the back nine. That's kind of the point here. I I kind of forgive Speed for his late bogeys. Like by the time you've you've lost the golf tournament, I don't really care if you finish strong or not. Um, but if you look at like on the 14th hole, he's two back, two back with a very gettable par five remaining. That feels closer than he felt at Riviera. It feels closer than he felt at Waste Management. Um, 
And I, I think it feels closer than he was at Pebble. So I'm actually more enthused by Spieth. The thing that I can't grasp is that like Saturdays are stupidly magical for him. He makes an ace. He holds out from a bunker. Like those are two absolute luck shots. Uh, so like, is this just a weird thing that's happening on Saturdays? I don't know. It's making sense for him. Like, will it be enough? He was in the lead on Saturday again. Like, it feels crazy yeah. to say again. We go down the same damn road. Um, everyone really, really, it's really. progress. I'll tell you that. In 2019, Jordan Spieth couldn't break an egg on Saturdays. He was he was all world on Thursdays and Fridays, and then he had the weekend curse. And it feels like he's shifted that one day. Sunday, he hasn't quite conquered. But you say you're optimistic about yesterday's performance. And there is someone that agrees with you, and that would be Jordan Spieth himself. He said after his round, he was asked to assess the day. He said, I thought I played really well. I thought I played a really solid round of golf. He basically <laughs> he basically said he hit all his spots, like with almost all his shots. Oh, yeah, Has he, he ever I said that? I put the ball exactly where I wanted to on just about every single shot and putt, and it came out to 75 somehow. <laughs> so he's, he's talking the talk. He's feeling yeah. good. I'm curious if if he's ever in his life, or at least in the last 15 years of his life, shot 75 and been like, yeah, I played well. I don't think he's right. ever done that before. But it I digress. We move on. The hill was hard. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the players before we go. 365-ish days ago. 360 probably days ago. You were down... In Jacksonville, Ponte Vedra land, the Players' Championship. I would like to have everyone just like rewind for a sec and remind them that Jay Monahan had no idea what to do. He had no idea what to do. He was taking his cues from Disney World, which I don't think is a good look in hindsight. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff that doesn't look good in hindsight, but that's definitely one of them. The NBA shuts down and you're like, well, let's play the first round. Disney world hasn't shut down yet. We can go on the PGA tour. Uh, so they played the first round. Hideki Matsuyama was the leader. CT pan was like, screw this. I'm not here for this stuff. And then Friday morning turns around and we're going to have the second round. And you saw that there were now, uh, hand sanitizer everywhere. People were, fans were still allowed at the event. Like this is obviously 12 months ago and much has changed since then. I just kind of want to remind people that it was not very fluid. They had a chain smokers concert on Wednesday night. It, it wasn't handled the best. Uh, and I don't think Jay Monahan has necessarily had to, uh, answer for that. No, I think that's right. And I think that if you think about was there a big miss there somewhere because look none of us really knew what was happening or what should happen at that point but to have the chain smokers concert go on wednesday night when the whole rest of the sporting world was shutting down was questionable and then to have fans allowed in thursday you know riding in on shuttle buses and, and obviously gathering together in big groups right around tees and to have fans allowed while also holding a press conference saying it's unsafe for fans to come Friday, Saturday, Sunday 
definitely was a contradiction. Not the only contradiction we've heard in the last 12 months, for sure. I mean, it, the, it's inherently a world filled with contradictions right now. But that was not the tour's clearest moment. Um, it felt like the, the tour was a late follower rather than a leader. And I think in the months that followed, Jay and crew flipped that position. Yes. Um, they, they took advantage of golf's unique outdoor properties, um, which are extremely advantageous. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm no epidemiologist, but it's a big advantage that golf is played on a giant space outdoors. Um, they were able to really take advantage of that. The, the rate of positive tests has been obscenely low on the PGA tour. Everything has gone pretty swimmingly, but it's so weird to think about that week uh, a year ago when when people just were trying to figure out whether to shake hands with each other or not. The only guy that really seemed to see what was coming was your boy C.T. Pan, who pulled out. <laughs> Everyone was like, wow, I can't believe that C.T. Pan's withdrawing from this event. Um, ended up sacrificing a, a large pay, well, not a large paycheck, but a significant like paycheck. I think grand because he or something. Yeah, I think it was like yeah, 50 grand. I would, I would take it. Yeah, well, of course, so would I. Uh, you bring up good points. If I'm going to, uh, in hindsight, wish for more of a rapid response from Jay Monahan, I also need to say that they did a damn good job of bringing golf back. They did a damn good job of hosting the PGA Tour uh, and making making it viable that we could have sports on television in june and july on the weekend we desperately needed it at the time uh what do you remember most i remember you had some really really interesting reporting uh from an airport from the grounds that friday you and i ended up having dinner on the upper east side in new york that friday night and it was absolutely popping people were out in the streets uh, which kind of tells you everything so what do you remember most I think what sticks out to me was just the uncertainty in the airport on the way home. Um, there were a bunch of, of TV guys and some players milling around in that Jacksonville airport on Friday morning. And I ended up sitting uh, next to Bernd Wiesberger, the Austrian pro. Wait, you were on the plane next to him to get or home. what? I was sitting next to him in the, sorry, we were milling around waiting for, uh, waiting to board the plane. We boarded the plane. Then we actually had to get back off the plane for some mechanical reason. And Wiesberger was afraid that he wasn't going to be able to get home. I mean, there were all these travel bans going into like almost immediate effect. This was, he was connecting through New York and then there was going to be one more flight that was going to leave that day going to Austria and he was afraid that that was going to be the last day that you could get back to Austria from the U.S. I am not. I don't think that that ended up being like true on that exact timeline, especially being an Austrian citizen. But certainly, there was there was so much uncertainty in the air that that was a pretty reasonable thing to be worried about at the time. And so he was going from okay, I'm playing in one of the biggest golf events in the world, to okay, I hope I can get back to help my family. He, he showed me videos of, um, you know, there were all these stores that looked like they'd been ransacked because people were just loading up on toilet paper and the whole thing. He was like, this is not a, a time for me to be away from my family. 
Um, so it, it really shifted from, you know, all is good in Ponte Vedra Beach to very real world issues. And, and that plane ride and, and seeing him there and what he was thinking about really sticks in my mind. It's so interesting now, 12 months later, planes are pretty packed coming in and out of Florida still. <laughs> like, we've learned a lot. There, a lot has happened. Uh, but as someone who recently rode a plane from Florida, there's a lot down there that's coming back to normal. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Uh, well, w- yeah. do you have any thoughts on the players this week? I mean, does the big does Bryson's game thrive there? Dustin Johnson's the favorite, but DJ's like never really played that well there. Yeah. I mean, we don't have Brooks Kepka, which is a bummer. Well, it's not necessarily the perfect golf course for him anyway. Um, I would love to see, you know, if if Rory and Spieth can get in the mix again because the subplots are just so fascinating. Wait, and and speaking of Bryson at the players, really quick, he's talking about going off the 18th tee and taking that water out of play and playing left of that water onto the ninth not, hole. Yeah, not like out and of play. He's hitting it over the water still. <laughs> He's hitting he, – It's apparently, a Aaron Abram, subplot. Oh, gosh, Siri's freaking out. Hold on. What the fuck? Sorry. Um, Aaron Oberhoser is actually – was out there on the grounds this morning checking it out he basically said you got to hit a drive pretty accurately like 310 yards and then you have like a somewhat decent angle but can you do that can you hit a 300 yard drive like super accurately to a landing zone that doesn't usually take on golf shots i mean if you're bryson DeChambeau, i think the theory is basically it's easier to uh hit a golf shot when there's water between you and the target than when there is water that's left of the target the whole way. So basically he just has to hit over the water and then he'll be fine. And then going back at the green, he just has to hit over the water again and he'll be fine. Do a lot of people go left of the green on, on 18? I don't feel like there's a no, lot of approach shots. No, a that lot of, end the, up in a the lot of people go right. Of, a lot of the people, a lot of people go right of the green and then they make bogey from right of the green. Because they're bailing out to avoid that water. Or they go right of the fairway off the tee. Because it is a tough tee shot. There's no doubt about it. It's one of the tougher ones. And he said otherwise. He's. I think the big advantage is he can hit four iron off the 18th tee down the fairway. Or he could hit driver and then leave himself with just a flip wedge back over the water. Instead of a mid iron from the fairway. I don't know. He's not going to do it. It's. He, I no, don't think he's going to do it. <laughs> this is Bryson golf though right like he's making us I mean, w- think differently about all these golf holes that we thought played one way or two ways he's adding a third variation I mean I'm trying to think of other holes that he could do crazy things on we saw him play at Augusta kind of full sending his way around the property it didn't work out he got some bad breaks I think it plays differently in April and his game might be slightly differently in April, but 13 didn't necessarily play into his hands as much as we thought it would. Yeah. I don't know. Is there another Not golf yet. hole? Like, we'll see next tour? time around. <laughs> his game travels so much, so well um, everywhere. So 
there's nowhere that it's going to be quite the same advantage as it is um, at Bay Hill. I mean, it, it took me back watching him hit that tee shot yesterday and then seeing where Lee Westwood hit it. It took me back to that Jordan Spieth-Dustin Johnson playoff at the Northern Trust mm. a few years ago at, uh, what's the name of that course, Glen Oaks? Where yeah, some, DJ some people think just, that that's when Jordan Spieth-Hex was put on him. He got yeah, absolutely, I mean, absolutely bossed around. With by someone with speed, someone with distance. And DJ was like, hey, Jordan, who's your daddy? And Jordan had to say, it's you, Dustin. You're better than me. It's you. Westy wasn't saying that to Bryson. Uh, So I don't know. (laughs) He's not going to take that line. But it'd be fascinating if he did. It's always fun to, like, have that to think about. You asked who I like this week at the players. I mean, Sung J.M., Sitting there at fifty to one, Florida, uh, Florida killer maybe. Yeah. Um, you, you've already discussed. I think he'll be you've already checked out the betting lines. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you asked where my leans were. Patrick Cantlay, we're going to see him back in the mix. He's a he's quite good at golf. Uh, then we're going to see Tony Finau again. See if he can contend. And then a guy that was hot and then inexplicably just dropped off the map this weekend is Victor Hovland. Um, there's no reason to think he wouldn't play quite well at the players, except that he's stumbled into a couple of big numbers recently. We are inside of a month to Augusta national. I need to see something from two people. I need to see What's something that? from JT and I need to see something from John Rahm. These mm-hmm. are the number two and number three players in the world. JT quasi-contended at the Tournament of Champions. But other than that, eh. John Rahm kind of came back at Riviera. But other than that, eh. Like, the God, people use this tournament as a springboard to assess their game to win the Masters. That's how it used to be. It used to be in the 90s when they played it in March every single year. This was the event. You win this event. Holy cow, he's the favorite. Are these guys like going to be legit favorites? Justin Thomas is 16 to 1 to win at Augusta. If he continues to not really contend, he might drop down into the 18 to 20 to 1 range. John Rahm is really no different. Two guys like John Rahm should win at the players at some point in his career. Is his game super tight? It's not bad. He's not dealing with confidence issues that like Speeth and McElroy might be. But those guys just like are fading in the background. They're just like, hanging out in the background right now. And I don't really know what's up. Something's not quite right. JT has not been good off the tee. He's been struggling with driver. Um, he's had a lot of different stuff going on. Uh, stuff. I mean, not to be too vague about that, but <laughs> yeah, some self-inflicted, others out of his control. Uh, he has not looked quite right and, and maybe needs something to channel him in. It's funny, I think of those guys golf games in very similar ways John Rahm and Justin Thomas and I don't necessarily think of either of them as as perfectly suited to the players but I'm is not anyone I'm not perfectly suited to the specifically players specifically sure why that is well that's probably the thing no one's a perfect fit Webb Simpson no. is he perfectly suited no, to the players just because he won there that's the um, only reason you're saying that because Jason Day like took TPC Sawgrass folded up and put it in his pocket a couple years ago and we're like Dang, this might yeah. be becoming a bit of a bomber's course. You got to hit it long and straight. And then Webb Simpson's like, no, I'm just going to hit it straight the entire way and make every putt. Yeah, so. and short. 
last yeah. in the field in driving distance, first in the field in driving accuracy. That was his big time small baller performance <laughs> from Webb. All right. Well, that is enough for us this week. The drop zone is back, people. You need to embrace it. You need to tell your friends. I know that you have friends that were in on the drop zone. We're like, what happened to that podcast that we really loved in January and February and the beginning of March? Well, like we said, good news. We're back. We're going to do this every single week. So dive in and, uh, yeah, rate, subscribe, and we'll have more stuff for you a week from now. We've got a lot, a lot, a lot of good stuff, Sean. Happy Players Week. We'll see you in Ponte Vedra virtually. <laughs>